Welcome to Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. While you are there, you can learn more about who we are as a church, see the time and locations of our weekend gatherings, and see the different reoccurring ministries that happen on a weekly basis. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. What a great morning. What a great morning. I always look forward to uh, the morning that we do the, the Crosspoint Kids Christmas service. And uh, I love the Bridges pageant. And it's, you know, it's interesting. I think uh, probably one of the hardest Sundays to preach is to preach after that. Just because there's, there's something about the simplicity and just, there, there's something about those students and those families presenting the story of the birth of Jesus that is humbling and I think makes everything else feel inadequate <laughs> because it's so simple and so pure and so right. And, and so it's just such a cool morning to be able to, to see and participate in that. Um, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about uh, components of Christmas and, and, and basically that Jesus is the light of the world and Jesus coming at Christmas who, who is the light in bringing illumination and exposing the darkness. And we started in Isaiah chapter 9, looking where the prophet prophesies uh, of Jesus coming, and he says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. But people will respond differently to that light depending on who they are. And uh, over the last couple weeks, we've been talking about that. And, and last week, we talked about Herod, who wanted to extinguish or reject the light and uh, that, that our better option than extinguisher or, or rejecting the light is, is to come to Christ in, in confession and prayer and repentance. And, and, and so uh, this morning, we're gonna talk a little bit more about that and, and another character who is within the Christmas story. Uh, but first, I wanna, I wanna share with you a, a Greek uh, kind of Roman myth. Um, and it's, it's, it's where we get our idea of narcissism from. And so there's this guy in, in this myth, his name was Narcissus, and he was a handsome guy, and he wandered around the world looking for somebody to love. And I think that's where they got the Queen song. But um, he was wandering, looking for somebody to love. Now you're going to have that song in your head, hopefully, for the rest of today. You'll have to, like, check it out on Spotify, because you're going to have to hear it at some point. Um, but after rejecting many different women who just weren't good enough or attractive enough, uh, he caught a glimpse of the one who his heart desired. He was walking by a river and he saw his reflection and he immediately was smitten by his own reflection. And so the myth, the story goes that he was there at this river and he was looking at his reflection and he was so caught up by it and he was unable to tear himself away that eventually he drowned in the river by looking at his reflection because he couldn't tear himself away even long enough to get a breath. And uh, the story goes that, uh, that, that where he drowned, a flower sprouted up in that spot, which is the narcissist flower. And, uh, and that's where we get this idea of narcissism from, someone who can't tear themselves away from themselves, that they're kind of stuck on themselves. Narcissism is, uh, 
uh, is defined as, as, as an elevated and sometimes detrimental self-involvement, uh, an inflated or grandiose self-image, someone who thinks they're smarter, more important, or better looking than everybody else around them. And uh, <clears throat> it's interesting because, because in, in our culture, this is really kind of obvious, and it's, it's pretty obvious that, that there is very much a self-focus in the world and the culture around us. Um, it's funny, on, online you can pretty much find a test for everything. And uh, so I took um, an online free narcissism test. And uh, I was a little you know, worried about how this would work out, but I think I'm pretty good at tests. Um, and it came out that it said, it said I had little to no indication of the narcissism personality disorder. So that's a good thing. Um, that's good news for everyone, especially my family. I scored nine of 40 which they say most celebrities are at around 30. So I'm like, good, that's still looking good for me. Um, but it's kind of interesting. Uh, one of the things that, that I read about our culture, in fact, uh, the, the way some sociologists uh, describe our current culture and the economy in our culture of relationship and interaction between people is uh, it's been described as we live in an attention economy. Which is interesting because in an economy, there's, a, there's, a, there's something that, that you use to, to barter with or trade with or purchase, that kind of thing, to do transactions with. And in an attention economy, the main currency is our ability to draw attention to ourselves. That feels like a pretty accurate description of the world around us, doesn't it? That we live in a, in a world where people are always trying to get attention and drawing attention to themselves. Um, you, look at, you look at all of the, 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 the reality TV shows out there and, and all of the things that, that people are trying to draw attention to themselves. And, and it's just, it's so interesting. And, and people do it in all kinds of different ways. Sometimes it's really obvious where they just constantly talk about themselves and, and they don't really look to, to ask anyone about their lives or their, their, what they're facing. And sometimes people will fish for compliments to draw attention to themselves um, social media is a, is a big platform where we can draw attention to ourselves. Some people will draw attention to themselves by, by being controversial on social media or, or some just constantly exaggerate or, or complain to draw attention to themselves. But, but it's very clear that really we do live in this attention economy. And, and the, the reality is that, 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 that that's, the Bible sees, sees that very clearly. Um, one of the statements that I read in one of these articles about this attention economy was this. It said, to control your life, control what you pay attention to. And they called this uh, attention management. But to control your life, control what you pay attention to. It's kind of an interesting statement. And I'm going to come back around to that um, in a little bit. But just kind of just put a little pin in that at, at this point. Um, Part of our fallen nature, which affects every human being, is, is an unbalanced, unhealthy, often hurtful attention to ourselves. Um, looking out for number one. Um, you know, if, if, it's, it's just the way we're, we're, we are wired by our human nature, our fallen nature, um, which, which goes completely opposite of, of the biblical message and the message that Jesus gives to us. And even thinking about how Paul summarizes it in Philippians chapter two and verse three, he says this, he says, 
Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And so here Jesus himself gives this completely opposite opposite vision of what our culture teaches us and what our attention economy is all about. Where, where Paul says, you know, don't, don't do things out of that selfish ambition, but, but consider others. Place your attention on others or draw attention to others rather than drawing attention to yourself. In essence, uh, we are by nature light hogs. That's kind of what we are. And, and we want the spotlight on ourselves. And as we've been talking about this idea of Jesus being light, Jesus illuminating things around us, um, one, of the, the, one of the cool things is that, is that we are reflectors of Jesus, but we're not the light itself. So we reflect Jesus' light to others to what? Draw attention to ourselves? No, draw attention to Jesus. And so if, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter one, and we'll get to this in just a second, but you can go to Luke chapter one, verse 39, and that's where we'll start. But I wanna give a little bit of background um, and by the way, it, it does not take me that long to get to passages. Just, but it's not about me, so whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, I want to talk a little bit about John the Baptist this morning. Last week, as I said, we talked about King Herod who rejected the light because he wanted to stay in the darkness. John the Baptist is probably the opposite extreme of Herod because John the Baptist was uh, was his whole mission that the Bible talks about was to prepare the way for the hope of Israel, Jesus Christ. Not only the hope of Israel, but the hope of the entire world. And so John's mission, what he lived for, was to draw attention to Jesus. And the high point of John's ministry is also really the beginning of the low point of his ministry. If you're going to, uh, you know, if you're going to like evaluate a ministry that way. The high point was, was when John was baptizing in the River Jordan and Jesus came and John was able to baptize Jesus and, 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 and proclaim, declare to everyone that Jesus is the Messiah, the Lamb of God. And, and people saw that, but it was interesting because at that point is where John's ministry began to decrease, where the, the focus of, of the people around were, were no longer on John, but it was, it was shifting to Jesus. And it's interesting because if you go about a year before that baptism where John baptized Jesus, John had blazed a trail across Judea. Um, he was actually the first real prophet in about 400 years in Israel. Because between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was kind of a time where it's called kind of a, a silent period where, where God didn't speak through prophets. And Israel was, was kind of off and, and wandering and, and, and God didn't speak through prophets. Yet, yet John the Baptist was probably one of the first prophets in about 400 years that, that actually spoke on behalf of God to, to the people of Israel. And it was interesting because he had such a, he had a profound ministry because all eyes were on him from the peasants in Israel all the way to the king. 
And he called all of them out from their sin to repentance and to be baptized. He even, he even called out the, the narcissistic Pharisees and the way they pursued uh, power and, and wanting attention and wanting the spotlight for themselves. He called all of those out. John would speak, God would move, and people would repent and get baptized. People would flock to see John because John's message was a message of hope. And it was almost like there was this moment of revival as John would speak. Yet, yet then John, all of a sudden, the, sh- the, the spotlight shifted away from John onto Jesus, never to be regained by John. And this kind of upset John's disciples. They were kind of concerned. And so they, they came to John and they said, you know, well, well, this Jesus, he's, he's, he's stealing all of the people who were following you. Yet John, in, in John chapter 3.30, John says this thing that was embedded in him from before he was even born. And he says in John 3.30, he says, he, speaking of Jesus, must increase, I must decrease. That statement made by a human being is, is totally against our nature. It doesn't, it doesn't really exist in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a human realm where to say voluntarily and honestly, this per, I want this person to increase, but I'm willing for them to increase, I am willing to decrease. I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to lose something in order for this person to increase. But yet that was John's response. It's so interesting because even at the end of his life where John always was focusing on Jesus, yet he struggled a little bit toward the end when he was in prison and it was the end of his life and he said to his, the, the disciples that remained with him, he said, you know what? I've, I've preached Jesus as the Lamb of God, the Messiah, and he said, just go ask Jesus if I'm right. And his disciples go over to Jesus and they, they ask Jesus, are you the Messiah? And Jesus says, tell John what you see, that the, the deaf hear and that the blind see, and that the lame walk. Just go tell him that. And they went back and told him, and John was kind of like, okay, yes. I know that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And so John had this focus on Jesus where he could say voluntarily that I'm willing to decrease, I'm willing to lose in order that Jesus might be raised up, in order that Jesus might be focused on. John's whole existence was to bring attention to Jesus. And and you think, well, how did he get there? How did he get to a place where where he could legitimately set himself aside? Well, that was his mission, but it started early. So in Luke chapter one, starting in verse 39, we read this, where, where, where Mary, who an angel visited and said that you are with child, and, and not of your husband. And, and so Mary went to her, her cousin's house, uh, Elizabeth, and uh, she wanted to visit with her because Elizabeth also had kind of this miraculous angelic visit announcing her pregnancy. And so she goes to visit her. And in verse 39, it says, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Elizabeth. 
And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So this, there's just this interesting story of, of Mary visiting Elizabeth while they were both pregnant. And in verse 44, Elizabeth says to Mary, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now, I think it's interesting, and I, I, I have to confess first that I've, I've, I've never been pregnant, and I've never been a mom, and so I don't know how this works, but, but it's interesting to me that Elizabeth is... is, is relating the emotional state of the baby in her womb. Now, I, I, have, I, I have, you know, like felt, uh, uh, you know, our children kick when Sherry was pregnant. And I, and I, and I remember uh, it was probably, it was about a week after uh, uh, Allison was due that uh, Allison came about two weeks late and about a week after her due date, I remember Sherry sitting up in bed and going, oh, and that was when uh, Allison actually turned um, to go feet first rather than head first at, at a week overdue. And so I remember like that, I don't think that would, I don't think Sherry would say like, oh yeah, the, uh, Allison in my tummy, it was full of joy. I don't think there's a lot of joy in that moment. And so, and so kind of like, I, I don't understand how, how she knows the emotional state, but it's very clear in the scripture that Elizabeth says, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. There was something incredible about it. It says the Holy Spirit came upon her. And so John's, this is John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb. John's in utero leap is a remarkable moment in Scripture. Because Scripture gives us this, this moment of insight that we really, we really can't see. And, and here's what's interesting about it, is that this is the only baby in all of history, to ever take the spotlight off of himself and shine it on somebody else. Because that's not what we do. That's not what we're born doing. That's not what babies do. Have you ever met a baby that's like, oh no, don't bother with me, I'm okay. <laughs> like, that's not a thing. <laughs> and, and so this is the first time ever in history that a baby has, has, has basically said, you know, it's not about me. It's about him. From before John was even born, he was focused on Jesus Christ. And he was drawing attention to Jesus. You see, this is a supernatural moment. There's this revelation in the womb that the other baby is the Messiah. There's a recognition even in the womb that I'm not here on earth to command attention and draw that attention to myself. There's a resolution made in the womb to focus on Jesus, that this is the way that John would live. You see, this, this is such a stark contrast 
to what we read about Herod last week. That here Herod wants all the attention on himself and has to, and, and actually, actually executed people who would draw attention away from him. But here you have a baby in the womb of his mother who's actually saying, no, 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 no. this is about this one. Pushing the attention away from himself and focusing that attention on Jesus. See, our attention on Jesus goes against every fiber of our fallen nature. But in order to control our lives, we control what we pay attention to. Remember, remember that statement earlier? In order to control our lives, we control what we pay attention to. And this is what John the Baptist was doing. What was he paying attention to? There's so many things we can pay attention to around us. Be intentional about what you pay attention to. There's so many things that vie for our attention. Be careful to control what you pay attention to. Don't just go and, and, and kind of look and pay attention to whatever jumps in front of you, but be intentional, just like John, being intentional of paying attention to Jesus. See, Jesus calls us to place our full attention or our focus on him, and in doing so, we may think we lose what we want, that attention, but we gain everything else. Because when we place our attention on Jesus, he changes us and he transforms us to become more like him. See, I think there's, there's a, a little bit of a secret to John's focus. Um, we know that scripture says that John's purpose, his role was to prepare the way of the Messiah, prepare the way of the Lamb of God. And, and, and John understood that he was called to play his role, but he lived for his reward. And, and we need to understand the difference. See, your role is not your reward. We tend to blur that and focus on our role and we place value in that. How often do we look at the role that we maybe inhabit or the role that we play and we get all of our value from that role? Well, this is what I'm doing and, and, and that's where I get value. That's where it brings my, my people's attention to me. And so we, we see that role that we're in, that we inhabit, and we get all of our value and that's what gives us our influence and that gives us our, our, our worth and our value. But you see, that's not what our role means. Because you see, roles will begin and they will end. But the role that you have is not your reward. And John saw that. He saw that he had a role to play, but his reward was Jesus. And we have to make that distinction. Whatever role God calls you to play in his kingdom, whatever God calls you to do, whatever the Holy Spirit impacts you and, and, and moves you toward, understand that that's the role he's calling you to play. Whether you think that role is super important or you think that role maybe anybody could do, you see, that role is the role he's called you to play, but that's not your reward. Your reward is the forgiveness of sin and life with Christ for eternity. And so your reward is Jesus. And John saw that. And so he was able to play his role, which was ultimately to decrease, to lose everything so that Jesus could be seen, so that the focus and attention could be on Jesus. 
Because you see, John recognized that his reward was Jesus himself. And I think that's why at the end of his life, when he, he, he wanted his disciples, just please confirm. Please confirm that Jesus is who I, I say he is. And when Jesus responded by saying that the deaf hear and the blind see and the lame walk, that was him quoting the prophecies of the old about the Messiah. And so John said, this is good. I am willing and I can lose everything because I have my reward, which is Christ. And so, and so as, as I close this morning, as we kind of think and as we go out and as we engage people, especially during this, this holiday season, this Christmas season where, where people are engaging and people are running into each other and there's all kinds of activity and there's all kinds of attention. I think the question that we need to ask ourselves is, are you drawing attention to yourself or are you focusing attention on Jesus? Are you drawing attention to yourself or are you focusing attention on Jesus? As you do things at parties, as you do things at work, as you do things in your social gatherings, as you put things out on social media, as you, as, as you, as you walk around, as you, as you engage people, as you go shopping, are you drawing attention to yourself or are you drawing attention to Jesus? What's the next step for you to take based on your answer? If you're, if you're mixing your role with your reward, our role that Jesus calls us to is to bring attention to him, to be reflectors to him, to be imagers of Jesus Christ. Be accurate imagers. That's what we're called to do. That's our role. And what we get for playing that role is we get all of these things that comes with Jesus. But we get Jesus himself. You see, hogging the spotlight brings ever-diminishing returns. Anytime we've ever tried to hog the spotlight and get all kinds of attention for ourselves, it always ultimately ends poorly. It, always, it never ends up where we think it does. And, and, so, and so when we focus on Jesus, we may lose what we think we want, but we gain everything that's truly important and of value which is where John was at the end of his life, where he could say, he, Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. So my challenge to you this morning is simply this. As, as you walk through your week, your day, the next month, who are you bringing attention to? Who are you bringing attention to? I wanna invite the prayer team to come forward right now. And uh, if, you want, if you need prayer this morning, after I close in prayer, um, I'd like to invite you to come up and, and receive prayer for, for whatever that might be. One of my favorite things about this morning is the contrast of the world's economy of attention and what we witnessed this morning. What we saw this morning was, was countercultural. A group of students and families who our world would say, don't measure up. And we saw the purest and most visible representation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus, though he was God, 
came in the form of a man. Such a gulf between God and man. And, and we got to see them present to us the, birth, the story of the birth of Christ. I don't know if there's anything that draws attention better to Jesus than that. And so in our vulnerability and our brokenness, make the decision to go out and draw attention to Jesus because that's what's important. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you this morning and I thank you so much for your love. I thank you for how you work through us. God, I thank you that with the power of the Holy Spirit, just like that was on Elizabeth and on John the Baptist, that we are capable of living a life that draws attention to you and, and, and helps people place their focus on you. I pray that you would help us to recognize the role that you call us to play, that you really do call us to prepare the way for Jesus in the lives of those around us, whether it's planting a seed or walking someone towards maturity. But God, I pray that you would keep our eyes focused on what is the reward, and that is life with Christ, that Jesus, you are our treasure, you are our reward. And so God, as we go out this morning, I pray that we would have the attitude and focus of John the Baptist, that we would recognize you for who you are, and that we would be willing to reflect you to others, even at the cost of ourselves. And so I thank you for these things, Jesus. Thank you for your sacrifice. And I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.